uh, it's uh, good to be here with you in worship. I, I especially want to welcome uh, each of you who are here. Maybe you're here for the very first time. Just uh, let you know that we're so glad uh, that you're here today and so glad that you've chosen to worship with us despite this, this nasty weather. Um, if, you're, if you're newer uh, here at Troy UMC, uh, make sure you fill out that connection card. Uh, I'd love to uh, reach out to you, just follow up and say it was great to, to have you here. Uh, my name's Andy. I'm uh, privileged to be the senior pastor here at Troy United Methodist Church. Uh, but, but hopefully, despite today's uh, nasty weather, you, you had an opportunity to meet our special guest. Did you, did you meet Dino? Uh, also, I'm glad. It was nasty out there. Uh, I hope you, uh, if you didn't stop to get your picture with Dino on your way in, uh, stop and get your picture on the way out. Like Dave shared earlier, uh, post that on to uh, social media if you can. Uh, tag it Red Letter Easter. Uh, this will just, uh, we're just going to try to flood the, the, just the Metro East waves with uh, people seeing Red Letter Easter, seeing a, a picture of a donkey and say, hey, that's got to be a cool church. Uh, maybe <laughs> that you're supposed to laugh at that. Uh, <laughs> Um, if you don't like Dino, uh, upstairs is Daisy. Uh, she's, uh, she's a little nicer, uh, I've heard. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm so glad that, that you're here and, and uh, take a, an opportunity to do that. Uh, but next week, we have five Easter worship services. Uh, so uh, we have our normal four and then a, a 6.30 a.m. service. I know you guys are excited about that one, but you, sh it, you really, you should be. Um, it'll be a, a, a unique service unto itself, different from all the others. So feel free, if you want to come to that, stick around for breakfast uh, at 715 right here in the Family Life Center. And then uh, uh, join us for one of the other worship services too. But we really, we can't sell, uh, wait to celebrate Jesus risen from the grave. And, and Dinner Church, uh, Dinner Church, you are winding up uh, your sixth of six Sundays here during the Lenten stretch. Uh, so we don't have an Easter dinner church service, uh, so we want to invite you back uh, to come and be a part of that uh, here uh, next week. And, and we're going to uh, kick uh, dinner church off again in August, looking forward to the fall. So uh, so glad that you've joined us uh, some of these past six weeks, and sorry you didn't get to meet Daisy and Dino. Uh, but, but over the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at the final words of Jesus, uh, the final words, the last words that he spoke uh, as he was suffering on the cross, the, the blood-red letters of Jesus. Uh, but before we get into the words that Jesus spoke for today, I, I want to share just a little bit of context. You know, the, the songs that we sang earlier were reflecting uh, back to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem uh, on, on the back of a donkey. That's where the donkey comes from. I, I don't know if you made that connection or not, but that's, that's where the donkey comes from. Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem on that, that uh, first, uh, what we know now is and celebrate is Palm Sunday. And all the people were, were waving palms and, and shouting, uh, uh, some laying down their garments on the, uh, on the ground so the, the donkey could, could walk over them and Jesus could enter as a king into Jerusalem. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, and yet, those same people, the same crowds of people in Jerusalem who were waving and shouting and welcoming in were some of the same ones who just a little bit later um, in the week were calling for Jesus' crucifixion. Those same folks stood by at Jesus' trial where, where he was um, 
un, unrightfully accused. And later when he was whipped and beaten and scourged by Roman soldiers, they, they spit on Jesus, they hurled insults at him um, as he carried his cross outside the city gates of Jerusalem up onto uh, Golgotha, a hill just on the outskirts of the town uh, called the Skull. They, they, they mocked him as the nails were driven through his hands and his feet and, and as he was slowly lifted up to be executed on the cross. And despite all of that, uh, we, we saw last week that Jesus I mean, just prayed powerful words. He said, Father, forgive them. He, he forgave those same people. And, and, and then he, after that, he interacted with some criminals who were hanging on either side of him. And we're actually going to take a look at that next week on Easter Sunday. Uh, but, but now uh, I'm going to pick up in John chapter 19, uh, verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked, it, soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Would you join with me in saying the, the, the last three words that Jesus spoke, the, the, the red letters, blood red letters for today? Um, it is finished. Would you just, just say that with me? Say, it is finished. Now, um, in the original language uh, of the New Testament, they, they didn't give us punctuation, but the vast majority of our English translations put an exclamation point at the end of that. So, so say that again with me, with, with the emphasis, with the exclamation point there. Ready? It is finished. You know, when, when I was younger, I had, I had this problem finishing things. It, it especially reared its ugly head in my life uh, right after I got married. Uh, I, I never really knew this about myself until I got married and somebody started pointing it out to me. But, uh, uh, I, you know, I'd start a project at home and I'd get like 90% of the way through. I mean, it was essentially done. And yet I just wouldn't finish it. Uh, I just leave something undone. I, I do this with books, too. Um, and and I, I'd start a book. I'd read maybe three-quarters of the way through. Must not have been that exciting because then I'd just move on to another book and never quite finish it. And the books would, like, start to pile up. I'd have, like, three or four books there by my bedstand. And, 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 you know, I, I, I would drive my wife crazy when vacuuming. Uh, well, not actually while I was vacuuming. That, that, that was good. Uh, but, but afterwards, I'd, like leave the vacuum out and just wouldn't put it back. I don't know why. You know, growing up, I'd see my dad do the same thing. Not, not vacuum. He never vacuumed. But uh, I'd say he'd start like a, uh, he was a, a carpenter, a remodeler, and, uh, and, and he'd start a project and then like just wouldn't finish it for, for years. I mean, he would, he would finish other people's jobs. He'd get them done. He'd get paid. Uh, but at home, it just would be left undone. I still go to my parents' house now. There's like undone projects. All over the place. And so, so I come by it, you know, naturally. It's, I, it's, it's genetic. I know it is. Uh, and I've gotten better over the years, following through, finishing. Uh, but, but it's still there inside of me, this tendency to leave things unfinished. You know, maybe you struggle uh, or are married to somebody who, who struggles with the same problem, not quite finishing 
uh, what you start. You know, John Stephen Akari, I don't know if you recognize the name, but, but he didn't have that problem. Um, 1968, uh, he was in the Mexico City Olympics. Uh, Akari was from Tanzania, and he had aspirations of Olympic gold in the marathon. He was a marathon runner. And unfortunately, partway through the race, he had a significant setback. He, he took a fall and uh, partially, actually partially dislocated his kneecap. And of course, all the other runners, they, they left him behind, they left him in the dust, and, and, um, and they, they entered into the, the, the big stadium in, in Mexico City, and, and they, they did the final lap, you know, around, around the, and they, they all completed the race. And then, then something amazing happened. I, most of the people had left. It was an hour after everybody else completed, and, and, and John Stephen Akari comes hobbling into the stadium. It's like a, a towel uh, wrapped around his knee in blood, just dripping down his battered leg. And this dedicated runner finished a race that virtually everyone else would have just quit. A little bit later, an interviewer asked him, why? Why? Why, why did you go ahead and finish? I mean, you, you, you once had hopes of at least meddling. No, that was not a shot. Why did you put yourself through the agony for crossing that finish line? And, and this is what John said. He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish one. John Stephen Akari finished what he started, and, and, and Jesus did too. And in our remaining time together this morning, I want to walk through exactly you know, what Jesus was getting at when he uttered these blood red letters from the cross, it is finished. And, and I encourage you to uh, follow along in your, your message notes. There are blanks there uh, for you this week to uh, so stay engaged, fill those in. You might want to reflect on these. These are uh, many of them are theologically deep concepts and yet have some real implication for our lives today. Uh, so, so I encourage you to fill those in and reflect on these. But let's, let's start with the easy and most obvious ones. These, these might not have a lot of theological implication for us, but, but yet they're things that were finished on the cross. You know, right after Jesus spoke these words uh, from the scriptures, it says that, um, in, in the book of Luke, in his accounting of what happened there on the cross, it says, that, that, it says this, it says that Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And, and with those words, Jesus breathed his last. So just most obviously, on the cross, Jesus' life came to an end. He died. The, the life that began so miraculously in a stable in Bethlehem um, ended in such a cursed way on a cross outside the gates of Jerusalem. God in the flesh was crucified really by, by his own creation. Jesus' life was finished on the cross. And, and thankfully, thankfully at the same time, uh, Jesus' suffering was also Finished. The, the, the beatings that he took, that uh, really without justification, uh, were, had now come to an end. 
the, the pain of having those that he created torture and, and mock him and kill him, those who he loved, uh, was, was finished. The, the cross marked the end of Jesus' suffering. Thank God. But there's so much more. I mean, those were just kind of the obvious things. There, there's so much more uh, behind Jesus' words, it is finished. And for some insight, I, I want to take a look at, at, at what Jesus said just beforehand. I read this earlier, but, but let me uh, read this again from uh, John chapter 19, verse 28. It says that Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And we'll get to that one in a moment. But then this, he says, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Now, w- why did he say that? Uh, outside of maybe really being parched and, and thirsty. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of, um, of foretellings, these prophecies. Uh, they, they, they weren't all necessarily meant to be prophecies at the time, and yet uh, when you see them in their entirety, you see this paints a picture of the things that were going to happen to God's chosen one uh, when he was... When he would finally come to set his, God's people free. And so there were all these Old Testament prophecies that would take that, uh, things that would happen in Jesus' death. And, and yet, there was one that was yet to be fulfilled. Uh, that was that they would give him vinegar to drink. And, and so Jesus, he just said, I am thirsty. And then guess what? The prophecy was fulfilled. Verse 29, a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. You know, when Jesus spoke these words, he was in part saying that all of the Old Testament prophecies were complete. I want to just list a few of these out for you. Uh, concerning Jesus' death that were fulfilled from the Old Testament, which uh, I just want to remind you, the, the latest prophecies were still 400 years old. The earliest ones, about 1,000 years old, that were spoken about this, this time. Uh, here are some of them. Amos prophesied that, that darkness would befall the land, and it was fulfilled. Isaiah said that Jesus would one day be rejected, and he was. In the Psalms, it said that he would be betrayed. Uh, Isaiah also said Jesus would be beaten, and he was. Spit on, he was. Wounded and bruised for our transgressions, he was. The Psalms, again, said that Jesus would be mocked, and he was. Zechariah said that he would be forsaken by his friends, and he was. Isaiah said that he would pray for his uh, persecutors, and he did. And that he would be crucified next to thieves, He was. The Psalms said that they would cast lots for Jesus' clothing, and they did. It also said that his bones, none of his bones would be broken, and they weren't. It also said that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he did. It was prophesied that Jesus would be pierced, and he was. It was also prophesied that they would give him vinegar to drink, And so he said, I'm thirsty. So they did. And then, then, it said that Jesus said it is finished. All of the prophecies concerning his death were finished. 
But that isn't all. I mean, more, more than anything else, really, I believe that what Jesus was referring to when he said it is finished is, is that the work that God had given Jesus to do was complete. Uh, l- listen to some of the other things that Jesus said about uh, his mission earlier in the book of John. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. A little bit later in chapter 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Uh, A verse or two later, uh, Jesus said, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For it was this very reason that I came to this hour. You know, Jesus had accomplished the work that his father had given him to do. Jesus' mission was finished. He was done. He he had faithfully completed the task that God had given him. But but what was that task? What what was Jesus' mission? I mean, it's pretty clear that it was wrapped up somehow in his death, but but exactly how? Uh, What what work was he to do? And to to begin to understand Jesus' mission, I want to take just a little bit of look at at some of the original language here of the the scriptures. Many of you know that the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic, but the vast majority in Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. It was the the language spoken in that that entire region. It was the common language. So so I want to take a little bit of a look at the Greek word that is translated, it is finished, right here. It's just one word in Greek. Um, and it's, it's printed, it, the transliteration is printed in your message notes. Uh, it's pronounced tetelestai, uh, tetelestai. And, and this certainly has the meaning of, of finishing, ha- having a, a, a task, bringing something to completion. Uh, but tetelestai can also mean to discharge a debt. Uh, it was common uh, for Jews and Romans of that time uh, it was a common word because whenever there was a debt that was repaid, the, the one who had paid off the debt would get a certificate uh, of the debt being paid. Um, and on it would be the word, tetelestai. Um, you know, uh, some, someday, you know, our, our church has a mortgage uh, uh, largely taken out to, to pay for some of the new land just to our north here. And, and uh, you know, someday when, when that is paid off, we'll, we'll get a certificate. And it'll say, hey, your, your mortgage is now met. It has been uh, paid off in full. And it probably won't have to tell us die on it. But, uh, but in that time, uh, the Jews and the Romans, when they, when they had a debt paid off, they would get this stamp, the tetelestai. So in one sense, it would be just as accurate to translate this passage with, with Jesus shouting, tetelestai, paid in full. This idea clues us into another layer of what Jesus' mission was all about. You see, on the cross, in Jesus' death, the debt of, of your sin and mine was nailed to the cross. In Jesus' death, the penalty of our sin was paid in full. The the finished work of Christ, which in theological terms is oftentimes called the atonement, 
um, or uh, the, the, the redemption for the human race. This was completed in Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, that's why Jesus is referred to as the Savior of the world. Uh, you see, our, our sin um, makes us unholy, unclean, and, and unable to be in the presence of a holy God. But the Bible tells us that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. Uh, if you were here last week, you, uh, you couldn't not remember uh, that uh, many of you came up um, and took a red piece of paper like this and wrote um, either some sin that, that was burdening you that you had committed against somebody else and needed forgiveness for or some sin that was committed against you that, that you were leaving behind and, and in God's name saying, I, I, I let this go, I, for, I forgive. Um, and we, we nailed those uh, to the, the crosses that were before us. And, and we trusted in, in Jesus that, that his blood would cleanse all of this. And these, this, is, this basket is, is full of all those from uh, all four of our morning worship services and the worship service at, at, and, uh, there in St. Jacob at Dinner Church. These are all of them. And, and the, the great news is that we don't have to be burdened by them anymore, by the weight of guilt of, or the weight of these debts any longer. They are forgiven. They are, as Jesus said, they're, they're washed clean. They are paid in full. That was Jesus' task. That was his mission, to live, live a perfect and holy life such that he would be worthy, a worthy replacement a worthy substitution, a, a worthy sacrifice to take upon his own shoulders, our sin, so when he was forsaken, we wouldn't have to be. And because our sin is now paid in full, we're no longer separated from God. That's, that's this next one. Our separation from God is finished. During his ministry, Jesus made it clear that, that he came, that his life would be given as a ransom for many. Sin separates us from God. We become estranged from God because of our own brokenness, our own, own unholiness. Uh, but through the cross, we're reconciled to God. And the, the Bible explains it this way in, in, the, in 2 Corinthians, that for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And this is the wonderful message that he has given us to tell others. You know, another biblical illustration of this reconciliation to God comes from, um, from the Old Testament and, and Jewish understanding of God's presence. Without whipping out like a, another big Bible study on this, let, let me just share um, kind of a, a surface level understanding of this, this other amazing illustration that's also happening on the cross. Um, uh, you see, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God, God had created humanity, and it says that, that God walked with humanity in, in perfect harmony. Like God's presence was fully with his people. And, and then when, when Adam and Eve, uh, you know, when they rebelled against God, um, the, the, the penalty, the, the, the consequence of that was not so much that, that they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, uh, this beautiful place, as much as they were, they were um, 
just banished from the presence of God. Like their unholiness made it impossible for them to be in the presence of God anymore. And so they, they were vanquished from the place of God's presence. And, and generations later, God, God wanted to reach out and, and have his presence come back to his people. And so God reached out to a guy named Abraham and revealed himself to Abraham. And there are a couple instances where God's presence is, is kind of interacts with Abraham. But it wasn't until later when, when Moses, uh, in the time of Moses, that God's presence came and actually, again, actually dwelt with his people. You can see this in some of the illustrations uh, that, that God went before them in a, in a cloud of smoke and in a pillar of fire. Um, and, and then later, after the creation of the tabernacle and then later the temple, that was the place where God's presence actually dwelt. The Ark of the Covenant was the, the place where God's presence would come and dwell on, on, on top of, of the Ark. But even with God's presence with his people, it, it was only possible, God, he was so holy and the people were so unholy that only one time, Every year could one person be in God's presence. That person set aside as holy, the high priest. And even he uh, would, would have to like, go through umpteen numbers of cleansing, purification rituals. Um, it was like a whole week set aside for these purification rituals for the one person who was going to go in and actually be in the presence of God. And, and so uh, that person would go into the presence of God, the high priest would go into the holy of holies. And uh, when, the, when the temple was created in Jerusalem to house the presence of God uh, in the holy of holies, uh, there, was, there was actually a, a curtain uh, similar in size to this, the big back curtain here, uh, where it's about 30, 30 feet by 60 feet. Uh, but this curtain was like four inches thick. Can you imagine a curtain that thick? That thing was huge. And, and it, was, it was this barrier f protecting, really, the people uh, from the presence of God, which was, was holy, and in their unholiness would be too much for them to handle, and they would perish. And, and so something amazing happened uh, in, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, and, and he paid the penalty for our sin in full. Uh, cleansing God's people from the unrighteousness, from the unholiness, preparing us to be able to actually be in God's presence again. And then uh, listen, listen to what happened in Jesus' last moments on the cross according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Then Jesus shouted out again and he gave up his spirit. So Jesus died. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple miraculously tore in two from top to bottom. You can kind of see what's happening here. It's like the presence of God was, in, was, was open to, to everybody. God's presence was no longer veiled from his people. They no longer had to bring sacrifices to purify themselves to be in his presence. Jesus' death was the final and complete sacrificial atonement for sin. And now God's presence was available to anyone. The separation that had begun in Eden so long ago was now finished. You know, you know stuff like that, and it makes the book of Leviticus actually kind of fun to read. Because you're like, 
Maybe. Uh, uh, but, but you see all of what the, the folks in the Old Testament, what they went through to purify themselves, to be in God's holy presence and to have forgiveness of sins, all that. Don't have to do that anymore. God's presence, because we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, we can be in God's presence. Of course, now, uh, those of us who put our hope and our trust in Christ, God's very presence dwells in us. And that's only possible because we have been made righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus did on the cross. One final thing that was finished on the cross. You see, uh, when, 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 uh, when we're separated from God uh, by our sin, we are also, because of our sin, alienated from each other. Um, another part of God's good news is that through the work of Christ that reconciles us to God, we're also brought together as human beings. Hostile divisions uh, of humanity can have peace with one another through Jesus. In Christ, our alienation from each other is now finished. Uh, listen to what the Bible has to say about this in Ephesians chapter 2. For, for he, Jesus, is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups. And here they're, they're talking about uh, those of Jewish descent who were used to being God's people and those who were always excluded before, uh, now having access to God's spirit. So they're talking about these two groups, Gentiles and Jew. And he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Jesus' death marked the beginning of the possibility of unity among people. When you're in Christ, all walls of division can be broken down. That's great news. That is great news for us today. Um, but on the cross, I mean, so many things were accomplished. Uh, so much was finished once and for all. There are so many facets. I've just kind of given you a couple obvious ones and, and a handful of deeper ones. There are probably more things going on. Uh, but but this, this is some, some of what's happening on the cross. But, but I want to take just a moment to help you understand and maybe reflect on what it all means for us. Because the, these are some deep theological things, but, but what difference does it really make in our lives? I think you've probably been able to see some of the application already, but, but when you boil it all down, because of the cross where God reconciles us to himself and to one another, I mean, ultimately, bottom line is we can have hope in our lives. I mean, hope that, that your past or your present or even your future uh, the, the, the circumstances, the mess that you get yourself into, that, that it cannot keep you from God's love. Now, that's hopeful. Uh, it means hope that no matter how distant you feel from God or other people, even right now, that you don't always have to remain in that state. Uh, it, it means hope that God isn't finished with you or me. Um, God is finished with sin, and therefore he's not finished with us. It means hope that, that you don't have to be burdened by, by guilt or, or, or shame or, or unforgiveness anymore. It means hope that even when we think we're defeated because of our brokenness that keeps rearing its ugly head from time to time in our lives, uh, even when we feel like we're finished and there isn't hope for us left, uh, and like many thought, Jesus was defeated on the cross, God will have the last word. 
God will have the last word in our lives. You know, sin, separation from God, and alienation from others, all these things were finished on the cross. That, that's, that, that's why I believe the English translators put a big old exclamation point there because those are all amazing, hope-filled things. In Jesus' words, it is finished. That is great news. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, let, let's, let's stand together. Let's, let's pray together. And we'll continue to worship a bit, but let's just uh, thank God for this great news of what he's done on the cross. And Father, we, we want to thank you for, for entrusting your work to your son. And we want to thank you that Jesus finished that work that you gave him. We thank you that in him all the promises of the past have come to fruition and that because they did, it means that we can be reconciled to you and, and to one another. Lord, thank you so much for the finished work of the cross. And Lord, would you infuse in us a hope that because Jesus finished what he started, that ultimately that you aren't finished with us yet. Help each one of us today put our trust in you so that we can live in the hope that what you have started in us, that you will also bring to completion. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how far we may have turned from you, no matter how distant we feel from your presence right now. Lord, would you give us the hope that because Jesus finished, you will have the last word in our lives. And may that hope flow out of us in such a way that we can truly become the light of the world as, as you said we would be. That's the work that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for finishing your work and making us yours. We, we thank you for the amazing story of your life, your death, and your resurrection. All praise and glory and honor is yours, almighty God, both now and forever. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen.